sometimes no one gets anything done by themselves. It's too big. It's too complex. But after a while, sometimes you say, wow, I'm, I'm the vice president of this theme park now. I'm a pretty big deal. And when you start telling yourself that, you stop communicating, you stop appreciating those around you, and you get into some big trouble. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. This episode is kindly sponsored by Attractions.io, the guest experience platform behind Merlin Entertainment's San Diego Zoos and the PGA Championship's branded mobile apps. And just like us, the team at Attractions.io is on a mission to elevate the guest experience and ensure that they exceed the expectations of today's digitally native guests. By combining a branded mobile app with an operator console that consolidates behavioral data from every touch point in the guest journey, the Attractions.io platform empowers operators with the tools they need to increase guest satisfaction, spending, and loyalty. And to learn more about how Attractions.io can help you connect your end-to-end -end guest experience, visit attractions.io slash how it works. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Well, today, Josh, I am fantastic. How are you? Well, good. I'm glad you're fantastic today. You know, unlike the previous 288, 89, I don't know how many, what episode are we on? <laughs> I think this will be 288. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope you're not too hungry because I've got a question about food. Oh my goodness. Yes. There's I a chance that I've asked you this question before. <laughs> We've definitely covered this topic in some way. What is the greatest theme park or attraction food you have eaten? So maybe not my favorite, but the greatest attraction food I've eaten. Cause that yeah. might be two different things. Oh, that's true. I'll I'll give you leeway into okay. how you the question. <laughs> if you want to give a two part answer, that's fine too. I'm I may have to give a two part answer um, because then there's also the greatest food I've had in a theme park that may not be traditional theme park food. That doesn't count. Okay, all right. But if you had like a tenderloin or like a filet mignon, like that <laughs> well, there's there's a um, I don't know if they still have it, but there was a, like a lobster bisque at Mythos at Universal that was just out of this world. Anyway, that's a, that's a different story for a different time. That doesn't qualify. I know it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so um, I think I'm going to go with my standby of my favorite food that when I go to a theme park, this is what I look forward to. This is what I crave. I don't get it pretty much anywhere else. And that's a funnel cake. Mm. Got to have a funnel cake. Now, sometimes I, I get it with the, the toppings. Sometimes mm. it's just powdered sugar. But that's that's kind of my go-to theme park splurge food that I like to that I like to experience. That's a good one. Yeah. How about you? So for me, I, you know, after I asked you the question, I realized I do have a couple answers to this. My <laughs> my my true answer, my my favorite of all time, is a cheese on a stick, which I kind of feel like is an endangered species these days. Like funnel cakes, like you know, like they're. You could probably count on it in the majority of the amusement parks you go to. Cheese on a stick is more like you can get them at Cedar Point, Belmont Park, probably in uh oh, you used to be able to get it at Santa Monica, not anymore. So I don't know. Okay. But but the reason why I'm thinking about this is because the greatest theme park pretzel that I have ever had was at the Germany Pavilion in Epcot at the beer cart. Right at World Showcase along the lagoon. It's so good that I even remember being at a Six Flags park a few years ago and having a pretzel that was so good and thinking, wow, this is the second best pretzel I have ever had. <laughs> it's just fantastic. And why would a pretzel be on your mind today? I know. And why would a pretzel uh, even tie in with the guest that we have today? Uh, and, and we get to talk to Dan Cockrell, a uh, former uh, Disney executive. Now he's a, a keynote speaker. He's got his consulting group. And uh, there's there's a question that we're starting to build more into our routine now. And I really, 
I really like asking it to guests <laughs> as far as what they would do as a frontline employee. Or in this case, we asked about a frontline cast member and he talked about that beer card and the pretzels and, uh, and, and gave a pretty funny story about it. So uh, that is why it's on my mind right now. <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, if I wasn't hungry when you first asked that question, I certainly am now. Um, but we get to talk to Dan about all kinds of different things. Obviously, his theme park career, his consulting. But what I really love about the conversation and kind of where it went is that so many of the things that Dan talks about are things that anybody can do. You know, yeah. and, and I've heard this for many, many years throughout the you know, the time I've been in the industry that, you know, Disney, where Dan has spent a lot of his life, Disney's the gold standard, right? And they must have a secret sauce. They must have, you know, more resources and more people and more money to do everything that they do. But what Dan does is he really breaks it down into some very specific, non-magic, non-secret um, tactics that really anybody can use. And I loved just kind of hearing his perspectives on all of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, all the all the advice that he shared is is free to implement. As far as you know, it, it doesn't take you know a, a Disney sized budget to implement these types of uh, Disney type uh, leadership strategies, philosophies, uh, and, and really things that tie in with company culture. And uh, culture definitely is is probably the uh, the biggest theme of this interview. One of the things that um, that I thought was really fascinating about about building a culture, and in his example with uh, you know with a team the size of you know that that you know he had at, at Disney. Uh, when I worked at Disney in college, there were more than fifty five thousand cast members just at the Walt Disney World Resort, not even including any other properties all over the world. Uh, and and you can't have a one to one relationship with everybody. But he talks about it from the lens of he needs to have a marketing campaign for him as a leader. And I thought that was so fascinating because, uh, you know, we, we talk about marketing from the lens of, of the guest experience where, you know, you need to, to build positive word of mouth. So you can take that and apply that directly to leadership as well. Even if this frontline cast member doesn't know you, maybe their leader does or maybe their coworker had an interaction and uh, just the things he shares about being able to develop uh, develop your own reputation as a leader, even if you can't have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with everybody. And I think that's so important to not try to have a one-on-one -on -one with everybody because just from a timing perspective, it's never going to work out and you're you're never going to be able to build the relationships that you need to build. And that's another thing that Dan really talked about was building relationships with the, the key people around you. Um, not to say that everybody wasn't key, but, you know, as, as an executive, you know, you've got your, your next level of direct reports that you really have to focus on and make sure that you're, you're setting the right example and being a great role model. And Dan has some great stories and, and really practical, fun things that he did to really um, set the stage for, you know, how they could be successful. Um, but then, like you said, like thinking about this from a marketing standpoint, when he goes out and talks to people, you know, he said he just wants to, he wants to build an authentic relationship, a genuine relationship and, and just show up. And he said, when you do that, people think you're everywhere. Right. right. And and then it, and then it, it, it kind of, kind of grows from there. So really great to hear his perspectives on that. Yeah. And then, you know, he also talks a little bit about uh, kind of some hiring practices and then, and then how that leads into building that culture. You know, he talks about skills. Uh, he talks about passion, talks about attitude and uh, talks about if, you know, if you're bringing your, your strength and your passion to work every day, then you'll have a very fulfilling job. And, uh, you know, he, he shares, uh, you know, a lot of examples about that as well. Yeah. And one of the last things that, that um, I think is really cool that he talks about is letting go of your ego, right? And letting go of the fact that you may have a title, you may have um, uh, accomplishments, you may have been with a, with a facility for a long time, but, you know, that doesn't compare to what kind of information you can get when you just drop your ego, let go of your ego and ask people questions and go out and listen to them, um, which I think is, is critical for anybody in any kind of leadership role. For sure. So should we uh, grab a pretzel and get uh, straight to this interview? I'm going to grab a funnel cake, but yes, let's do it. <laughs> hey, Dan, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you today? Good, Matt. I am uh, here in sunny Florida for about a week, and I'm glad we, I know we had a few dates to get this scheduled, but finally got it done. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you all. Absolutely. Well, we're excited to talk to you. Thank you again for your flexibility and getting this scheduled. Uh, can you first um, kind of maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? Sure. Uh, grew up mostly outside of uh, Washington, D.C., Rockville, Maryland. 
Uh, my dad was with Marriott for many years, so uh, we moved around a lot. I went to Boston University and studied political science. Not still not sure why, but it was a good solid liberal arts degree. And uh, every summer I was um, I ended up being in the service industry. I worked at Ocean City, Maryland as a waiter uh, one summer with a bunch of buddies. Um, I worked at Disney on the college program one summer. I worked uh, at Shearson Lehman Investments back in, in Boston with that one summer. They're gone now. But I did that and um, had an experience realizing that's definitely did what I did not want to do. And then in 1991, I graduated from BU and I got in my car, drove down to Florida, went to casting and said, hey, I'm, uh, I worked here before. I really enjoyed it. And I'd have no idea what I want to do. And I'd like a job here. And I said, am I qualified for anything? And they said, you are qualified to park cars. And so they sent me out to Epcot and I parked cars for about six months. And I had a kind of a, a little plan behind this because I knew that Disneyland Paris was opening that following spring. And so I had applied for a work visa through school before I graduated. And so I let them know I had a work visa and I said, I'd really like to be part of the opening at, at Disneyland Paris. They were sending at the time Euro Disney and they said, you can go over there. And I said, great. What can I qualify to do? They said, well, you know, you park cars, you're going to park cars in France, <laughs> international parking. I called it. It looked better on my resume. So I got there in January, 92. We opened the park in April 12th, 92. And then I spent five years in France working there, uh, various jobs uh, about every year I was moving to a different role, just trying to gain experience. And then in 97, my wife who I'd married in France, who is French, who uh, helped me secure my green card. Uh, the two of us moved to uh, Florida and we spent uh, raising our kids here in Florida uh, up until 2018 and worked for Disney. I was in theme parks. I went into resorts for about six years. I went back and got my MBA at night at uh, Crummer Graduate School at Rollins College because I had no business education, decided that was important. And then, uh, you know, back in, um, gosh, it was uh, 2009, I got promoted to be the vice president of Epcot. That's about 20 years after I'd left. And then I ran Epcot for a couple of years and then Hollywood Studios and then finished my career from 2015 to 2018 as the vice president of the Magic Kingdom. And my wife and I had a year long conversation from 2017 to 2018 about what we were going to do in the future. And she loves traveling. Our kids were get going off to college and some starting to work. So she kind of stayed after me and said, we got to go do something else. I'm not going to sit here and we're not going to hang out in Florida till you retire. And I thought she was crazy. I can't do anything else. I was institutionalized. When you work somewhere for 26 years, you can't imagine working anywhere else. But talking to her, talking to my dad, got some really good support. And so we pulled the ripcord in uh, May of 2018, uh, left Disney. I resigned in March, ended up leaving in May. And uh, we started uh, our, our consulting company, which we've been running for five years now. And so I call ourselves now scrappy entrepreneurs. We're learning something new every single day. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, some stressful moments, some times when you say, why didn't we do this sooner? And um, so in a, in a nutshell, 26 years of uh, Disney and five years of figuring out how to do uh, spread the word on, you know, uh, leadership, culture, um, uh, customer service. And uh, we continue to tweak our material and Valor and I work closely together. Now we're partners in this, in this business. And uh, that's what we do. We have rented apartment out in Colorado. We're only there last year. We were there for about two months. And so uh, we live in Airbnbs and hotels and we're traveling the world. And one day we'll, we'll slow down and settle down, but not anytime soon. <laughs> uh, Dan, I'd love to know more about that, uh, that scrappy entrepreneurship, especially after, like you said, 26 years at, at Disney, which is a, obviously very, you know, very well-defined, you know, uh, uh, very organized company, been around for, for a very long time to really the, the polar opposite of that. What, what has that been like of even using just your leadership and your executive experience with a company like Disney towards re really building a startup in that scrappy entrepreneurship? Yeah. Oh, the biggest thing I think when I left was I, it took me a while. And that's why I ended up writing my book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Because I didn't know what I could teach people that they would care about. And it's, it's funny. You say, well, look, you were 19 different jobs at Disney over 26 years. You worked internationally. You ran three of the four theme parks in Florida. But I was thinking to myself, what do I have to teach? Like, how do I teach that? Because when you're in a company like Disney with such a strong culture, you just live it. You go in every day and it's just natural. And so, uh, you know, I really had to think hard and, and long about, okay, if I leave, what, when I go to companies, what can I tell them that they can actually make improvements upon? And Valor and I thought 
we would be working with mostly hospitality companies, maybe theme parks. And it's been really interesting. That's the probably the smallest part of our business uh, because what we've, the way we've set up how we teach this is it's not about resources. It's not about how big uh, the company is. It's not about the industry. It's about how do you as a leader want to create the culture and how do you want to operate and how do you want to deliver results to your customers and your employees? You know, you realize how important marketing is. And, you know, back in the old days when people say, what do you do for a living? I'd kind of sit back in my chair and say, well, I work for Disney, you know, ever heard of it? Of course. Now they're like, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a consultant. My name's Dan. Have you ever heard of me? Well, no, we have no idea who you are. So a lot of it is just making connections and relationships. And I learned how to do that at Disney. And we've had a lot of learnings along the way. How do you set up contracts? Uh, how do you have clear expectations with clients about what you're going to deliver? Because if, you, if you're not very clear up front and there's not a lot of, um, lots of times your clients don't know what they want. And if you leave it vague at the end, they feel like they paid you way too much for what you gave them, or you feel like you got way paid way too little for the effort you put into it. And so we've had a lot of those moments where we've consulted, we've learned that along the way. And uh, in a other part of our business is speaking and, and doing workshops and master classes. And we uh, constantly are tweaking those materials and uh, figuring that out. And um, so it's been, it's, it's almost like when you have a white paper to, to write on, it's really hard to get started. And I realized that Disney had all this structure so we've had to get used to, um, you know, two or three months from now, not being clear about where we're going to be or what we're going to be doing. And that was a little bit uh, scary at the beginning, but we've kind of got used to it now. Yeah, you definitely get used to the fact that sometimes you don't know what's coming down the pike, uh, but you know that you've been doing it long enough. You're, you've built up your reputation. You've built up those relationships that something's going to happen, right? You're, you're confident that, that you're going to, you're going to be able to keep going and, and keep eating, which is, which is always good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, you know, during COVID, it, it hit me quickly. Wow. Um, I didn't get paid on Thursday. What's going on? Oh, I always get paid on Thursday. Well, you know what, when you're an entrepreneur, if you're not doing anything, you're not getting paid. So we, um, we started some online, an online community. We started some college courses we developed during COVID. I got my book done. Um, so that's another thing you get, to, you get to be really creative and very resourceful if you're going to stay in this business. And uh, that's something we've, we've learned along the way is to be very flexible. Um, you know, at Disney, the, 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 as I tell people, the lifeblood of every company is customers coming back and customers referring you. That's, you know, every company runs that way. That's how you, that's how you get more business. It's the cheapest form of marketing. And I've concluded that as a consultant, it's 10 times more important. Every time I work with a client, I need to be sure they feel like they got the best deal ever. They got a ton of value for what they paid for because that's how I'm going to get future business. So it's not, it's not the client you're working with now. It's how you're taking care of them now. That's going to pay off the next two, three, four, five years. And if you have that mindset, things do work out, but you got to be in it for the long haul. You can't, uh, you can't accelerate that process. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we'd love to dive into uh, the things that you do talk about with your clients and really uh, looking back or leveraging, you know, your previous experience with, uh, you know, with Disney. Uh, one of the, the questions that we do have for you and um, just kind of looking at uh, your LinkedIn page and your website, the things you offer, you know, you talk about uh, really developing authentic relationships and uh, and talk about that, you know, with cast members at Disney. Uh, you're serving as, as VP at, you know, at Hollywood Studios, at Epcot, at Magic Kingdom. Uh, when I started working at Disney in 2007, I think they said there were north of 55,000 cast members just at that property in, in Orlando. Uh, and is that a challenge? I've got to imagine that's a challenge to develop authentic relationships uh, with cast members, whether it's frontline cast or even leadership when the organization is is so large. Uh, so we'd love to to know your your thoughts on that and how you do that. Yeah. So it's, it was challenging. And I, you know, when I, when I was a manager and a, a general manager, I could really personally interact with lots of employees and get to know them personally. When I ran a hotel or maybe I ran a division of a park merchandise or attractions. But when you, when I started getting to these jobs where, you know, you're running a whole theme park, the reality is my goal didn't change. I wanted to know personally, know every employee that worked there and have them know me. The reality is that was never going to happen. There's just not enough hours in the day. Uh, there's college program, there's part-time, there's people coming and going. And so what, what I, what I discovered over time, it's kind of like a marketing campaign. You have to be very intentful about what people know about you. 
and who you are. And, um, and because you may not meet everyone firsthand, but you can meet enough people firsthand that they can talk to other people about who you are. And that once again, this intent to, the intent to recommend, uh, that idea that you tell these stories. So when, when I finally got to magic kingdom, it just, it was, you know, there's 12,000 employees there. I concluded, okay, I can't know everyone. So I really need, first of all, a great marketing campaign. Can I let people know who I am? Uh, and so, um, uh, just things I scheduled every week, um, every day I had time scheduled to walk the park. My assistant would block an hour, at least an hour every day. There was a meeting and the meeting said, go walk the park. So no one could take that time away from me. And it guaranteed I would get out at least for 60 minutes, if not more, and just walk around and with no agenda, no destination, just be out there. And during that time, I had the opportunity just to show up randomly. I didn't have a photographer. I didn't have an entourage. I just showed up and I'd start chatting with you know employees. How you doing? Uh, you know, if they're at their um, their outdoor vending cart selling ice cream, they had a big line. I'd come up and you know see if they needed anything. Can I get you some water? Have a quick interaction with them. Go into a merchandise location. Ask maybe the manager what's some of the new products you have here, and just show up. And what I found out is if you do that regularly people start to think that you're everywhere all the time. You know, Dan is always here. Well, I wasn't always there because a lot of times I was in meetings, I was doing other things, but with, I showed up with intention and I made sure I made a big deal out of it. I took lots of pictures. I'd take pictures of stuff that needed to be corrected. And I take selfies with employees who were doing a great job and send it to their general manager and say, Hey, I just want to let you know, I was out at the Emporium today. I met Mary. She was, she was doing a great job greeting guests as they came in. And I wanted to make sure you all knew that. And so all of a sudden, when you start doing that, your general managers look at you, you're role modeling it. And they start to say to themselves, well, shoot, Dan's out there all the time. I better get out there also. And so make sure that the employees can see me. And when the general managers get out there, the managers start getting more visible. So a lot of this isn't just me trying to be, be everything for everyone, but it, role modeling is such an important piece. And if I could show everyone that I could find time to be out and spend time with our, our guests and our employees, uh, I was telling them you can too. And they started to do that. Uh, I'd go to the cafeteria pretty much every day and have lunch with employees. I'd buy, the, always bought the lunch for the employee in front of me, cast member in front of me. I'd say, hey, I got you covered sometime the person behind me. Uh, and just, you know, as a magical moment for them to do something nice, I'd sit down with maybe new employees, introduce myself and just, we'd start chatting. I'd sit with managers and people were pretty nervous at the beginning, but after a while they just realized, well, maybe Dan's just showing up to find out what's going on. And they told me all kinds of great stuff that I could work on. Um, I had a confidential voicemail number. Anyone in the park could call me and leave a voicemail. They could leave it anonymously or they could leave their name and number and email and I'd get back to them. But the point was, um, you know, we had an organizational structure, we had a chain of command, but I didn't want to shut down communication because that's where bad things happen. Uh, you look at, I mean, you can look at any leadership situation. Often it was because someone wasn't being listened to. You look at uh, the space shuttle blowing up, the O-ring issue, the O-rings weren't the problem. The problem was someone knew about it and they were trying to elevate it and it got blocked and the pe right people didn't know to make that decision. So once again, I, I, I didn't want to be the problem solver for everyone, but I wanted to give everyone first right of refusal to let me know about something before they went on Twitter or Facebook or called OSHA or called their congressman or did whatever they're going to do and give everyone a voice. Because in a big bureaucratic place like Disney, uh, it's it's easy to get lost in the, in the in the sea of people. And so once again, when I start doing that, everyone else starts doing it. One of my superstar general managers, real quickly, a story, um, you know, I put these little posters up. Hey, if you have something on your mind and your manager um, isn't responding or you're not sure who to call, call me and I'll, you know, I'll follow up on it. Uh, and a lot of organizations say, well, don't do that because you'll get in trouble. And I told the managers, look, I'm helping you all be successful. I'm not doing this to find out what's going on. I know what's going on in your operations. I'm just trying to be another pair of ears and eyes with authority that it can help do things. So Deb uh, was one of my GMs. She was like, you know what? And she did a little campaign of merchandise. She did a thing called call Deb, not Dan. She's like, if you got a problem, you don't call Dan, you call me, I'll take care of your issue. And then all her managers are starting to say, well, look, call us, not Deb or Dan, we'll take care of what's going on. And so once again, this role modeling is such a powerful piece. 
And I think a lot of leaders, executives say, well, look, I paid my dues. I don't get down to that level of detail, but in this world, it's all about detail and you got to learn how to fly at 10,000 feet and you got to learn how to be comfortable on the tarmac, walking around and interacting. And uh, it's not, it's not all one or the other. And if you can figure out how to elevate yourself and then get, you know, be accessible and approachable directly, I think you get a lot better results and you learn the truth about what's going on in your operation. And that's the hardest thing to do as an executive is find out what the truth is because everyone's telling you something. Usually they're, they're not, they're not lying to you, but they're influencing you and telling you certain things. And I always wanted to get the the full story. So Dan, I love all that stuff that you've been, been sharing a lot of really great leadership practices, you know, communication and listening and role modeling and, um, you know, setting the right example. And I'm just curious, as you tie that into your consulting business, you know, a lot of times when people see the word Disney or they hear about the company, they think there's some secret sauce, right? That's happening, or they get intimidated because, and you mentioned this earlier, oh, Disney's got all the resources. They've got all the time and money and to do all this, this uh, type of stuff. And that's why they have such a great culture. That's why they have such a great um, experience. But I'm, what I'm hearing you say too, is that, you know, it's, it's much more about those foundational kind of leadership experiences. So how do you kind of navigate some of those conversations where people will say, well, of course, Disney could do it because you had X, Y, and Z. I'm a little, you know, a, a little um, mom and pop. I can't possibly do that. So how do you kind of navigate some of those conversations? Yeah, great question. We, when when I do uh, keynotes or, and Valor and I have a, a, a workshop, a masterclass we do called Method to the Magic, the Method to the Magic. And the first thing Valerie says at the beginning of the Method to the Magic is I got bad news for you. There is no magic. Uh, everything is done with intent and with uh, uh, process and with focus. Um, but the, so that's the bad news. It's, it's just hard work. There is no magic. There's no, no, no silver bullet, but the good news is if you have two employees or 12,000 employees, everything we're going to talk to you about today, you can apply. It's about behaviors because, you know, if, if I'm, if I am running a, a grocery store as the manager, everything I just talked about can be applied. I should be on the floor. I should be talking to customers. I should be talking to my employees, I should be know what's going on because that's the moment of truth where the employee is talking with the customer. That's where they rate their experience. They don't see the GM. They don't see the executives. Now the executives have a different role, but the the, the service and the emotional connection you make with, with customers is done at that frontline level. So that's the, that's the thing I always talk to organizations about. In fact, Valor and I are working right now with an organization in, uh, in Rio de Janeiro. They run uh, 309 of the food kiosks that are on the beaches down there, Copacabana beach and Ipanema and all these beaches. And we're going to be speaking with them in two weeks. And we, well, I'm basically telling them, and a lot of them I'm sure are saying, Oh, great. Disney's coming, but we don't have the kind of money to do what they do. And what it, but basically what we're going to be telling them is, Hey, when a, when a, when a tourist or a local walks up to your beautiful, your kiosks to get a drink and something to eat on the beach, Basically, they want the place to look nice. They want to be greeted and they should, you should look happy they're there and you should get them a drink fast and have some good food. If you do that, you're done. But uh, we, we spent some time there last week and I said, some of them are nailing it and some of them aren't even close. So once again, we, we try to say, look, we're going to, I know everyone gets, and I, I hit it head on. I know a lot of people think, well, you're Disney, you have these resources. The reality is, when you're a publicly held company, you have resources, but the expectations on your profits are even higher. So I always remind people that also Disney's a, uh, is a for-profit organization. They're there to make money. And usually I ask that question at the beginning of sessions for, for, uh, companies we work with, what's the goal of your company? And they say, well, create great service. You know, we're the Disney people. They want to give us the right answer. I said, no, your purpose is make money. That's why you're here. And it's okay. Making money is okay. Uh, and as Valerie likes to tell organizations, Disney, uh, the way we talk about Disney is they like to go through your heart on the way to your wallet. And if you can figure out how to touch people's heart and get, and give them something that they can't get anywhere else, they'll pay you any amount of money for that. Whether it's a food kiosk or it's a lemonade stand, or it's a pharmacy or shipping company, uh, that's a differentiator. And so that's where we, we really get in the, the tactics and the tools to help companies figure out what they can start doing Monday morning. Uh, so this isn't high level philosophical stuff. It's really business oriented strategies that, uh, that can create, create the magic, but do it with intent and do it with process. Mm. 
So Dan, one of the things that uh, Matt and I talk a lot about is really about the intersection between the guest and employee experience. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, and it's pretty widely known, you know, a great guest experience starts with a great employee experience and uh, really having the enthusiasm of the employee or of the cast uh, be equal to or even greater than that of, of your guests. So curious as far as your strategy of ensuring that uh, that cast members or employees of the clients you're working with, they're coming to work with the same level of enthusiasm as the guests do. Because if you think about, you know, an employee in a theme park, uh, a lot of times it can become very routine. That's, you know, that's where best practices are built and consistency and operational excellence. But then you get that down to the personal level. Well, routine becomes ordinary. And then some days it even becomes redundant. Uh, whereas the people that you're serving, they're, you know, they're on the vacation of their lifetime, right? So being able to really flip that around and ensuring that uh, that your employees or cast members uh, just have, you know, have that same level or even greater enthusiasm than their guests. Yeah, they're, uh, the, the way I worked my whole career, I learned there's really four things I focused on when it came to having a really productive team and making sure our employees were at their best. Uh, the first one is you got to have the right talent. You have to hire the right people. Uh, if you don't do that, you, nothing else is going to matter. Uh, because the reality is what I saw at the Magic Kingdom, you know, I was running the place and there was an overall culture there. But the reality is when you're in a place that big, uh, your culture is the person who's in charge of your location. You know, who am I working for and seeing every day? Uh, who's the manager at Pecos Bills? That's the person who's going to determine the employee experience at the Magic Kingdom for Pecos Bill employees. Who's the person running the attractions in Fantasyland? That manager has the biggest impact on the leaders there and the employees and how that place runs. So when people ask me, you know, how's, how's the leadership, how's the morale at Walt Disney World? I'd say, well, tell me what who you're working for and I'll take a guess. So it didn't, you know, there's a, a general culture, but then there's these micro cultures within it. So that's why hiring the right people is so important because no matter how much of the truth, how much you want to know, you can't be there every day as the person in charge. So you have to make sure you have the right leaders who understand the plan and the way Valor and I talk about it, you know, you hire for skills, passion, and attitude uh, skills. Most roles at Disney and a lot of theme parks, you, you don't need people with skills. You're going to teach them because there's a good chance they've never operated an attraction before. Maybe they haven't worked in food and beverage. Maybe they haven't sold tickets. Maybe they haven't parked cars, but we're going to teach you that passion is why you want to be here. It, that's important to understand, but above all attitude, attitude, we define as people who are problem solvers. Um, People have a great attitude. You put any, any any obstacle in their way, they will work as hard as they can to go around it, under it, through it, however, whatever it takes, and they don't give up. And unfortunately, this is the minority. And most people don't have this, you know, this kind of, it's kind of in your gut, I think, you have this approach to things. So one is if I want to have a great employee experience, if I hire the right people, they're going to enjoy it there because I'm going to reward them for the great attitude they have. And the next three are real basic relationships. You got to build relationships with all your employees. Uh, I build my relationships with my general managers and my operations managers and some of the cast. And hopefully by role modeling, they do that. Also, people want to know they matter. They want to know that they're not just a number. If they don't show up today, things aren't going to be as good as they would have been. Uh, the third thing is clear expectations for performance. If you want to have a great employee experience, you have to make sure everyone knows exactly what greatness looks like uh, and how to make decisions and what, uh, what those, um, what those expectations are. It kind of, you know, I grew up being an athlete and when I played on teams where the, the, the my teammates were uh, as good or better than me, I played at a lot higher level because they pulled me up. I was playing and that's what happens at Disney. A lot of times everyone, there's really crystal clear expectations on you have to have a name tag. You have to have the right color shoes, uh, there's only one hand signal you do to dispatch a vehicle and traction, and it's not for everybody. It's very rigid, but people who like to work in that environment really enjoy it because they know what the expectations are. And I've, I've had, I've talked to guests who are in the military and they say, you know, my family loves it here. They see all the magic, but I see a military precision in this. And I can see through that. I say, then you're right. Cause that's how this place runs. And the last piece of that's reward and recognition. If you want your employees to have a great experience, you got to reinforce those behaviors. You got to let them know. Problem is we don't, we run out of time because we're always dealing with problems and, and it's hard to deal with the people who are doing great jobs. So once again, I put processes in my place. And when I was working at Disney, I would have a reminder 
Um, I would have uh, to, to make sure I was recognizing someone every day, texting them, writing them a note, uh, every uh, compliment, every letter that, that I got my property, I got, I didn't respond to all of them because we had a department that did that, but I made sure we pulled out every compliment and made sure that employees got a personal note from me and uh, a personal note from their manager recognizing for the job they did. So if you want to make sure your employees have a great experience, make sure you hire the right fit that they're going to thrive in the environment that you're, you're in. Uh, make sure you build relationships with them. Make sure you have clear expectations for performance. That includes training. And then make sure you reward and recognize and reinforce those behaviors. And if you can do those four things, you're on the right track to get the most out of your team. Well, Dan, I think you just outlined your 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 MBA, right? For for, for your master's for for uh, for leadership. Um, and you know, when people hear that you've been with Disney for so long and now you're running a, a successful consulting um, a business, they must think, well, he's doing everything right, right? And certainly, you have a lot of great knowledge and a lot of great experiences. But have there been mistakes or failures along the way that have taught you as as deep of a lesson as any of your successes? Yeah, well, we need a whole nother podcast if we want to talk about that because I have a laundry list. Uh, but I was—I want to give a couple of examples here. Uh, one is um, some failures I've had. I'll, I'll give you a, a very specific one, but I think generally, sometimes when we 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 are successful, we move up, we do well, um, our ego can really get in the way sometimes, and we forget that the reason we got to where we were was because there's a whole bunch of other people helped us. And some I learned at Disney, no one gets anything done by themselves. It's too big. It's too complex. But after a while, sometimes you say, wow, I'm, I'm the vice president of this theme park now. I'm a pretty big deal. And when you start telling yourself that, you stop communicating, you stop appreciating those around you, and you get into some big trouble. So that's that's a big one is just because you're in a role with a certain title it does not mean you're smarter than everyone else. It doesn't mean you're the best one to be in that role. It means you are lucky enough to have the skill set to be able to do that job. And you better take care of everyone around you because they're the ones that are going to be uh, make you successful along the way. And sometimes I'd go out on my own without consulting others and I'd make some big mistakes. And I, I was lucky enough to have a leader every time I called them and said, um, I made a decision the first thing he would ask me was, who did you talk to? And if I hadn't talked to anyone, he said, look, tell me what decision you made. And it's probably a good one, but I can tell you already, you made a mistake by not talking to somebody and running it by them. Why haven't you done that? Well, because I don't, I, I didn't feel like it because I'm a smart guy and I got lots of experience and I got a big title and that, that was the reality of it. So once again, ego gets in the way, but here's a quick, here's a quick exercise for you. A really, this is one of the failures. And I, man, I hate talking about this, but it's good therapy for me to get it out there. I'm at Hollywood studios and we're trying to come up with uh, some revenue generation events. And we came up and realized there was a huge following for villains, right? Disney villains. Every movie has a Disney villain. There's tons and tons of villains. And so someone said, why don't we do a party just like the Halloween or Christmas party at Magic Kingdom, but let's do an after hours party, a villains party at Hollywood Studios. We'll close the park uh, and we'll reopen at seven. We'll run it till midnight, five hours, and it'll be a celebration of all the villains we had. We'll do a fireworks show and we'll do all this. So the, pl the team started planning it. And they came up and they said, and finally, the big hook was going to be, if you come to this party, there'll be a hundred villains that you can, that'll be there. And I'm like a hundred villains, man, that's a lot of villains. I'd like to see the list of all those villains. So that it sounded good, but if you don't really start thinking when you're doing something new, if you don't get to the tarmac level and see what it's going to look like from a guest point of view, um, you make a lot of assumptions. So really quickly, and I don't want to get too far into this, but if I have a hundred villains at an event and the events five hours long, that means I have 500, um, um, per hour, I have 500 villains that can appear. And if I go ahead and take that 500 and divide it by, let's say 60 seconds, right? If you want to meet a villain and take a picture and interact with them, 60 seconds sounds pretty good. You're basically going to come up with uh, 3000. I can have 3000, um, uh, meet and greets for that. And let's say, what do you think is an appropriate amount of villains to meet at a five hour party? And most people say, well, I want to meet, you know, I want to meet, uh, three of them. I want to have 
three interactions. Okay, great. So when you do all that, you basically get down to, if I want to meet three villains in five hours, a hundred villains, I should have a thousand people at that party, right? If I'm going to deliver that. And that's all reasonable expectations. Well, we had 6,000 people show up because we didn't do that math. And when you have a hundred villains, it sounds like a lot until 6,000 people show up and all of a sudden it's a disaster and no one gets to meet a villain. And I still have a chunk in my butt of a scar from that moment, that experience. <laughs> so I've learned uh, you got to go get to the basics, really get into the timing, see exactly when you're creating a new event or you're creating something new, what is this going to look like from an employee point of view? And what's it going to look like from a guest point of view? And if you don't do that homework, you're going to, you're going to take a lot of risk and maybe not be successful. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I, I love hearing stories like that as, you know, as far as, you know, here's, here's what we envision. And then, you know, you, you can only envision it so much without actually really seeing it come to life and, and trying to, you know, get as many perspectives, you know, into it as, you know, as possible. And then even, even with that, the guests still tell you if you succeeded or failed with it at, you know, at, at the end of the day. So, uh, so thanks so much for, uh, for sharing that story. Um, would love to flip it over to the other side of the coin, though, and uh, would love to know what you consider to be uh, one of or the most fulfilling moment of your time with Disney. Yeah, so there were so many moments uh, that um, I had that were fulfilling. Um, just I, I think, um, you know, this idea that people talk about, if you can figure out what your passion and your strengths are and you can apply those every day you're just going to have a really fulfilling job. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, but you're going to make forward progress. And what I concluded was, um, you know, I'm big on a lot of these assessments, Myers-Briggs, uh, Strength Finders. And basically every, all the assessments I did, the theme was be with people. Every the When you can be with, when I can be with people, I'm more energetic, I'm more inspirational, I'm more creative. Uh, everything gets better. And, but as you move up in jobs and organizations, you have to spend a lot more time in your office doing analysis, doing emails, administrative work. And so uh, I found uh, later in my career really how to prioritize being out, being approachable and accessible. And I, you know, I gave you all a, a list of some of the, the tactics I use. That wasn't just for fun. That's because I knew that's where I was going to best use my talent. And so um, th those moments where I felt really saw that success happening was when I could walk around the park with, uh, you know, do a tour or be with someone and people would just say hi to me, you know, and, and it wasn't this moment where, oh my gosh, the VP's here. I'm like, Hey John, how you doing? I can remember who people were. I can remember how long they'd been with the company. I can remember some of the conversations I had with them. And so for me, having those moments where I could walk around, participate, encourage, see the, the, the reaction of the, the employees and making them feel that special and making, you know, being able to go home and say, you know, the vice president knows who I am. That just got me excited. And it's always been something I've really been. Now there's all the projects opening, opening things, launching my magic plus um, being able to work on, on, on projects and do those. Those were all fun. But uh, when it comes down to it for me, it was about people and the impact I had on people. And I had a great moment uh, just a few weeks ago, I was at the uh, Bonnet Creek at the Ritz Carlton. No, not the Ritz Carlton, the JW Marriott. I think it was over there. Anyway, I was at one of the hotels, the Hilton, and I was in the lobby. I was doing a, a we were doing a workshop there and one of the, the VIP guides came in to meet a family and uh, he's walking down the hallway and passed him and he looked up and he said, Hey Dan, how are you doing? I'm like, Hey Joe. And <laughs> we just kept walking and I haven't worked there for five years. So um, that for me, that was, that's kind of where, where I, I really get excited that the impact I've been able to make on people and the relationships I've been able to build. So I imagine that, um, rolls into what you do now as a consultant too, right? Because you're around people all the time and, and you get to kind of exercise that muscle. Um, I'm curious though, you know, again, as you, you've had a, a, a great career that people probably ask you for career advice. Um, and I'm curious on the, you know, not just career advice you might give, but have you ever gotten some really bad advice or, or advice that you're like, that's just, that's not going to work out or something like that. So I'm just curious if there's bad advice you've either, either gotten or you've heard other people give. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting question. I've never had anyone ask me that before. I think I don't have a specific, a specific piece of advice that was, was terrible, but what I don't like is when someone gives you a piece of advice and basically says, 
that this really is what you should do. So I always encourage younger leaders, go get advice from lots of people, your parents, your spouse, your brother, sister, friends, uh, a mentor at work, your boss, coworkers. You should get advice from lots and lots of people. But at the end of the day, you're the only one who can make the right decision because you are the one living your life. And a lot of us, um, you know, when you're younger, you feel like the authority figures always have the right answer, but they, they don't cause they don't know your life and they can't make those decisions. And a lot of times there is no right decision. There's just making a decision. Uh, you can choose to go do that job today or get that experience or go choose to get it later. You're still going to get it. It's just what order you do it in. So my, my big thing is, and I always like to caveat this when I give people career advice to say, look, I'll tell you what I think. It doesn't mean I'm right. And you're probably going to talk to someone else who's going to tell you the exact opposite. I'm not telling you I'm right either. I'm just going to give you a point of view and something to consider and think about. And you got to go make the best decision for yourself. So if anyone ever tells you they know exactly what you need to do, I would question that because they can't. Because once again, it's not their life, it's not their career, and only you can decide. Um, and you got to you got to use these guiding principles that in your career. And I I'm, I've been big on doing that. I never expected to to be able to move to you know be a vice president. I mean, I was just every time I got a promotion, I was like, gosh, I don't know, I I don't know if I deserve this. I'm going to work as hard as I can to prove that they picked the right person, and I'd get into that and. I think this idea and one of the piece of advice I give a lot of younger people don't don't shoot for a role or a job because by the time you're ready for that the whole world will change it probably won't exist anymore. So just figure out what do you want to do every day? What environment do you want to be in? Um for me, if I could run a theme park, if I ever moved any higher at Disney, I think I would have been miserable because if I can't be around big teams of people and not running stuff, that for me would would not be fun. And so when Valor and I, you know, gave ourselves our own career advice, what do you want? What do you want out of your life at this point? We said, well, we want freedom and we want simplicity. Those were two things I was real. We were both really um, yearning for is a freedom. Cause when you work at Disney, you're there every single day and you're connected seven days a week. And so to be able to say, we're going to go off to another country for a month and see if we can get some business going and do some things. That was a big for us. It was great when our kids were growing up. And the other thing was simplicity. I just want, I don't want to have meetings anymore. I don't want to have uh, a 200 emails I have to get back to. I don't want to have to have six meetings to make a decision on the flavor of ice cream. I just want to do stuff and make life simpler. And um, there was a time and place for that. And that's what our guiding principles were for making this big leap and making, taking this big gamble to leave a big company like Disney and go do our own thing. And we're getting a lot of freedom and we're getting a lot of simplicity, but I would say we're working, I'm working harder now than I did before, but it's, it's funny how you don't, I, I saw a video the other day. Someone said, you don't get burnt out by working hard. You know, that's, that was a big thing. You don't get burnt out by working hard, working a lot. You get burnt out by working hard and not making progress. And so that's where uh, I think that's the big difference. So Dan, we've talked uh, talked a little bit about uh, the the frontline employee, the frontline cast members, and uh, just curious uh, if you could spend one day as a frontline cast member at any any property, any park, resort, wherever in the world, uh, what would you want to do that day? Boy. Uh, there's so many cool roles. The one I'll tell you, cause I've done it and I would go there. It was not a great use of my time, but, um, a real popular area is the world showcase at Epcot and a real popular pavilion within the world showcase is a German pavilion and a real popular kiosk at the German pavilion is the beer cart. And so, uh, I remember when I first, I was an operations manager back in the late nineties and uh, Germany was one of the areas I operated. And it, for me, it was just such a fun place, the architecture and the vibe it gave out. And I would just jump behind with a, uh, you know, there'd be an employee there pouring beers and selling pretzels. And I loved just to jump back there for an hour at a time and hang out and pour beers for people and just say hi and have a conversation. And um, we, we had one employee there, I remember the, the reason I went out there originally, they were the, the finance team was saying, you know, we're not sure what's going on. Five days a week, this kiosk makes 30% more than the other days. And two days a week, it makes less. So 
We're not sure why. We think maybe someone's stealing, but it should be five days a week, not two days a week. So I finally went out there and talked to the food and beverage manager, and I went there as a guest a few times. And there was this one guy, really a German guy, and he'd get out there, and every group, you know, group of guys walks up. They're drinking around the world. He'd say, yeah, guten tag, and you get into it. He'd say, um, well, so we have two things you can have today. We have the girly size or the German manly size. Which one would you like? And, of course, the guys are like, well, yeah, we'll, we'll take the bigger one. So he upsold every single beer because he was – so I said, look – I like your uh, I like your entrepreneur spirit, but you can't say that to people. This is not so. but anyway, we got we got to be friends, and I, like I said, I'd stop by, jump behind there, and pour some beers. I used my college training from that, and it was just a great place to be. We watched people having a great time, and uh, so that that the German Pavilion pouring uh, pouring beer. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dan, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. It's just flown by and I can't wait till we do uh, part two where we can hear about all those other, other things you want to talk about. But um, as we kind of wrap this up, if people wanted to get a hold of you or find out more about what you do, where would you send them? Yeah, easy. Cockrellconsulting.com. It's got our website. It's got our phone number, our emails, everything you want to know. It's got uh, videos of keynote speeches. It's got uh, everything that we do, all our materials, uh, I have a podcast called Come Rain or Shine. It comes out every uh, Thursday. Um, you can subscribe to that. I have a free article of the week I've been sending out for, gosh, 20, coming up on 24 years now. Uh, my wife is on there, Valerie. Um, my book is on there, um, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? And soon, uh, her book's coming out in October of 2023. She just got um, submitted to the publisher, and they're finishing up the first draft to go to print, is uh, Managed Like a Mother. And so she's taken her experiences of uh, raising our three kids and working for Disney for 16 years and taking those experiences to make the case that women are fantastic leaders. And if they take the lessons and parenting tips, if parents can take the the approach, the successful approach to, that they've taken to raising their kids and put that towards leading teams in a professional environment, they'll be really successful. So cockerelconsulting.com, uh, just reach out and we will, uh, we're pretty responsive. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, we'll take all that. We'll make sure that all of that is included in the show notes. Uh, I also just want to give a plug for that beer cart in uh, in Germany as well. You know, the, the beer is great, but that is the greatest pretzel I have ever. I, I get that every time I'm at, I'm at Epcot. Is it just the greatest theme park it pretzel? It's, it's doughy. It's a, it's a perfect partnership. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes, and they pair well together with with the beer. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for uh, for your time today. We uh, we really appreciate the opportunity. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.